All right, so we're gonna get started. Again, thank you all for taking your time to join us today as part of the culmination of our series, Women of Color on the Front Lines, which has happened all month of, all the entire, excuse me, month of March, which is Women's History Month. And we set aside this time to honor women of color that are doing the work on the front lines. And I'm just so happy that we're able to come together and have this discussion. We have some amazing women that are with us today. Um, and um, I hope that you're able to receive this time where I know you only have, it's an only an hour, but you really get to take a minute, take a beat, take a break from what's to come and really engage um, with this conversation. And so we are not shy about engaging in the chat. So um, please feel free to um, ask questions, um, to share information. There will be different questions and promptings and things that we will be putting up throughout the our time together to help with the discussion. Um, so please don't be shy. Again, if you see a colleague of yours, please say hello. Um, you know, jump in their inbox, start a dialogue. Um, but I want to go ahead and just jump right into it. Women of Color on the Front Lines, again, is a series that we are going to be doing annually to highlight the women of color that are doing the work in the communities. We have some awesome women, and I'm going to turn it over to them to introduce themselves. So, Rosie, would you start? Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome and welcome, friends. I see I have a lot of friends and associates on, so thank you for coming. I am Rosie Grant, and I am the Executive Director of Patterson Education Fund. Should I say more now, Shlon, or pass it to the next person to introduce? Pass it to the next. <laughs> Okay, Manira, do you wanna go ahead? Um, yes, um, good afternoon. My name is Manira L. Bumani. Uh, I am born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey, now a native of Newark, New Jersey. Um, my organization is uh, First Women Build Two Education and Trades Foundation. Also, I'm the founder and CEO of Free Women Empowerment Network. Also the New Jersey coordinator for the original Million Women's March that was held in uh, Philly, 1997. I can go next. Hi everyone, Jennifer Made. Um, I do many different things, but in this capacity right now, I am here as the founder of North Can, which is short for North Community Action Network. Nice to um, see and meet everyone. And I will finish it off. My name is Dr. Bambi Hayes-Brown and I'm the president and chief executive officer of Georgia Advancing Communities Together, a statewide affordable housing and community development membership organization and also president of Alliance 85, which is an alliance of 85 rural South Georgia counties advocating for black economics. I was born and raised in a small town called Cordial, Georgia um, that's located in Southwest Georgia and uh, currently reside in Metro Atlanta and glad to see so many of my friends and associates here. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. All right, so 
we are going to go ahead and, and dive in um, right into their stories. So I'd like to know um, from you all that are joining us this afternoon, what is it that you do and why are you doing what you're doing? Um, and we'll start with you, Dr. Bambi. Well, in short, what I do is comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. Uh, so I am a community advocate. Um, I do a lot of work in Georgia. Uh, Georgia, people think of Atlanta as Georgia, but there are 159 counties in Georgia. Uh, but we advocate for affordable housing and equitable community development. Um, I am also a person with lived experience of housing insecurity, so I'm formerly homeless, and I had my youngest son, uh, and he was born into homelessness. I'm a former public housing resident and currently a person living with a disability. So in short, uh, I go around and stir up some good trouble uh, because so many of our people, especially black and brown people, people in rural communities like where I was born, as well as urban communities, um, are traditionally uh, marginalized, uh, live in disinvested communities. And so we are here to change the tide. Uh, also by empowering people on the ground that's doing the on the ground work, but also advocating with local, state and federal elected officials uh, and letting them know that they're gonna hear from more than just lobbyists. They're gonna hear from the people that are impacted by their legislation and the work that they do. And also they're gonna be held accountable. So that's in short what I do. All right, Dr. Bambi, I feel like we should snap after that. <laughs> All right, Rosie. Uh, my work mostly is at Patterson Education Fund and we are a community-based organization. Our work is to engage the community in the improvement of Patterson Public Schools. I stand on the edge of advocacy and activism because there's an activist inside me that comes out <laughs> every so often. However, we are focused on advocacy, systemic change that benefits generations to come. And our work is for Black, Brown, Indigenous, and poor children in Patterson and through some national coalitions across the country. And my work in this field started before I realized it was starting. And, and just a short story, I migrated to the United States when I was 18, went to a two-year college where I was the only person of color that I can remember there. I was certainly the only black person and um, was valedictorian. And they called me into the office shortly before graduation and told me that I was valedictorian they thought it was gonna be somebody else. And so they had asked Chris if he would be salutatorian because I beat him out by a few points. So while I was valedictorian, I was not able to address the, the audience at graduation. Um, and then later found out that it was because of my accent and they didn't think that people would relate to me and they would relate to Chris a lot better. Um, I was a different person back then. <laughs> I didn't fight it, I accepted it, I realized that I should have fought it. And so I keep fighting now for the underprivileged. So in my work, I do a lot of teaching around restorative practices and I am bolder than I have ever been as I age. <laughs> Thank you, Rosie. Munira? 
on. <laughs> I got to make sure I keep. So um, my my struggles uh, came from it. My struggles and experiences came from um, growing up in Patterson, uh, now Newark, you know, in a single parent household, six siblings, you know, who are impoverished and deprived of opportunities uh, towards adequate education and resources and economic stability uh, to advance um, in my community. So um, I've made some bad choices uh, in 1994, returned home from out of incarceration, uh, decided after reading books like, you know, the, the Black Panther Party, uh, Sada Shakur, Harriet Tubman, law books, and et cetera, et cetera, you know, um, you know, I came home a changed person. Um, so, you know, I focused on, you know, being affected, you know, growing up, you know, my mother struggled seeing women uh, inside, behind the walls, struggling, women, the fastest growing population going to prison, um, also the highest uh, uh, eviction rates, uh, you know, um, also, you know, a lot of different, you know, um, struggles of women of African descent. So, you know, I developed, uh, you know, my own organization out of that called Free Women Empowerment Network which I have a cable channel. Um, and then also I picked up some skills after coming home, a high school dropout, now a college graduate with two degrees in sociology. Um, I decided to start, you know, my own organizations, you know, um, you know, I'm not very much, uh, you know, getting receiving government grants. So I just started it on my own. So that's where my struggles came from. So. I'm here to reach back and give back, you know, to women who are struggling of African descent. Thank you, Manira. Jennifer? Hi, everyone. Um, and the question, just one more time, is uh, what do we do? What do you do? Okay. And, and what led you to this work? Oh, God. Okay. So, um, well, what I do is... Um, North Can, which is North Community Action Network. And we are a uh, network of young community organizers and Brick City residents building resources and power in our community. Um, I'm from Newark, born and raised. Uh, fun fact, I literally uh, was born in the West Ward. Um, well, we lived in the West Ward when I was born. I was born in the Ironbound, ironically. I was born in a, a hospital that used to call used to be called St. James in 96. Um, I was, then we moved to the North Ward, which I lived for a very long time in my childhood. I went to high school in the South Ward. I went to the best school in Newark, University High School. And then I, um, I went to college in the Central Ward. I went to Rutgers. And I currently still live in the Central Ward. So I, I've been in all places in the city of Newark um, and I just love it here. So how I started this work and how I was able to um, uh, build Newark Can, um, I didn't really realize it, but I really started it when I was younger um, and it really was incorporated in 2019, but um, two years prior, I was coming from a concert um, 
And I saw a woman who needed a food. Um, she didn't ask for money, which was to me rare in Penn Station. She asked for food. Um, McDonald's is changing shifts. It was really, really late. Um, and it was during a time where the path wasn't necessarily running all night long like it does now. It shut down at two something and went back at four, like 40. Um, and we were, um, I talked to her for a little bit and we weren't able to get her any food at that time, but I did tell her that I would come back um, the next day around noon with some food. Um, I went, cooked food, brought some down, never saw her again. But after that, I've been providing a warm home cooked meal to the population without addresses. In April, it'll be seven years. Um, we have grown from it just being me to it being my family helping from me making five to seven meals on Sundays to now making 100 to 175 meals on Sundays to just giving out meals to now giving out resources to our population without addresses. We do toiletries, socks, coats, hats. Uh, we do groceries. We do um Anything that you could possibly think of, we have done haircuts, we have done cookout styles where they feel like on when it's the summertime, we'll bring out a speaker, we'll cook hamburgers, we'll do so different season, bring different things for them so that they feel dignified, um, they feel like a sense of someone actually understands them. And um, we connect well with them, we bring resources down there, we have had um, the city uh, come down and fill out some applications so some of them can get their social security cards. We partner with um, United Health so that they can come down and some of them can get, they need um, to be looked after. Um, and we have done a lot of um, SA, uh, STD and STI testing um, down there as well as COVID testing. So we have done a plethora of things in the in April, seven years to come. Um, and we have an amazing team of 15 to 20 um, people that are ranging between 16 years old to about 33 who come out on Sundays and volunteer. Thank you. You all are doing amazing, but we all, as women, we tend to do amazing things. <laughs> um, and we tend to, to not necessarily um, share our story. We just did a poll um, and majority of the folks, the consensus was don't really take the opportunity to share their story. Um, and I wonder, you know, why that is because through stories, you know, we're able to establish connection and we're able to breed understanding. Um, so I'd like to know from you all, you know, why do, why do you think that, you know, you yourself or others don't have an opportunity or have not shared their story um, and why even do this work? Why do it? So, that's how, okay, go ahead. So I, I do this work, you know, because, you know, um, growing up in a single parent household, seeing my mother struggle, you know, seeing how women are struggling, uh, when, behind bars, the fastest growing population going to prison for victimless crimes, um, the highest eviction rate, you know, uh, women, um, mothers in crisis, mothers in prison, children and families will remain in crisis because women today 
are the breadwinners of the home. So when you take a women, um, when you take women and lock them up for victimless crimes, petty crimes, you know, that's why we're going to have a crisis because women are the fastest growing population. So why I do this is because of, you know, my struggles, the experiences, you know, um, that's what keeps me going, you know. It's my duty, you know, um, it's my duty to, you know, uh, continue the legacy of our freedom fighters. You know, like I said, that I keep around and about me, you see my, my poster, it, it, I have to stay committed, consistent, because the struggle was still here and it's still real, you know. So that's why I wake up every day, my feet hit the ground, you know, um, is doing what I can to make, you know, my life and my community a better place to live in. How did you get comfortable sharing your story? You know, the way, the way that you've come to what you do today is, is not typical, you know what I mean? Um, so what, what, what gave you the courage or what gives you the courage to share your story with others? So what gives me the courage is because, you know, um, you know, the strength, the tenacity, you know, that I have, you know, I'm a bull, I'm a Taurus. <laughs> and we, you know, we just, you know, I know, I don't want to just blame it on my, my Zodiac sign, but we put productive, we steadfast, we keep going. And, you know, and then, you know, seeing my mother struggle and get up every time throughout her struggles, you know, and women, you know, that was in my, um, you know, in my family and in my community, you know, I came from growing up in the projects where, you know, um, living in the project wasn't a bad thing. We shared our resources, you know, we, everybody was everybody's family, you know, um, we fed each other, we, we you know, we, <laughs> we just keep it going. You know, and then as women, you know, we, we tenacity, <laughs> you know, we, we, we have the tenacity uh, in spite of the odds against us. We, you know, keep, keep, keep going, keep moving, you know, we keep moving and then having support, a support system, a family support system, you know, people in the community, you know, um, once again, I want to just thank, you know, the individuals who nominated me uh, that see my strength, see my work and, and the tenacity that I have to keep moving forward in spite of the odds being against me, you know, um, that keeps me going. Thank you. I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Bambi because we, we haven't heard much from her. So um, what is your why, Dr. Bambi? Why, why do you do this work? And why do you think so many of us don't share our story? Uh, well, growing up in rural Southwest Georgia, I hear a lot of people talking about that they, uh, they were poor and they didn't know that they were poor. Well, we knew that we were poor. Um, and growing up in an era and raised by my maternal grandparents, especially by a maternal grandmother, I didn't meet my father until I was 26. Um, and even though I knew my uh, biological mother, she was raised up with us, with me and my older sister, more like a sister. Um, so I really had to watch 
my grandmother take care of myself and my older sister working at a sewing factory. And I worked at that same sewing factory. My mother worked at that same sewing factory uh, until it closed and went overseas. Um, and so that's what uh, really changed my traje trajectory in life and to, to go back to school. And I went back to a technical college uh, and continued my education. Uh, but I really say that uh, I'm also a tourist <laughs> as well. So uh, there must be something in the water. But, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, especially women, black women, don't share their stories for fear of ridicule. Uh, there may be some shame in that. Uh, but all the things that I have went through, and I don't have enough time in a day to go through all of those things, um, you know, I, I had someone to tell me uh, to that said, Bambi, just stand in your truth. Just you have a powerful story to tell uh, and your story could be an inspiration for other black girls from the country, from the rural South, um, that we, too, are somebody. Oftentimes I hear that people say that we are the least, the lost and the left out. Well, we ain't the least. We ain't lost, but we're tired of being left out. So mm. we have to tell our stories. Uh, we have to be bold and steadfast. And my grandmother, she was, I mean, she only had a 10th grade education, but let me tell you, uh, she didn't take no wooden nickels, uh, as we say in the country. So <laughs> she was uh, she was very bold. She was very steadfast. We didn't have a lot of money, but I watched her share what little that we had. And so that's, I grew up watching my grandmother share with other people and people share it with us. Uh, and even though growing up, I didn't have much. And even throughout my life, I didn't, uh, didn't have much. It was ingrained to me that this all, this, this, these material things don't belong to you. They belong to your God or whoever you worship. Uh, and so you never know when you may be entertaining an angel. Uh, and so you need to try to help people uh, in any way that you can. And so that's why I do this. Why? Because my grandparents were, uh, was born in 1916 and 1922. So they come up in a time where they couldn't even vote. Um, they come up a time when uh, they were sharecropping uh, and they picked cotton. Um, and these are the things that I learned from my maternal grandparents and really pushed um, my older sister and I to get our education, to give back. And when we walk through a door, leave that door open for someone else to walk through. Mm, thank you, Dr. Bambi. Jennifer? Um, I'm still trying to figure my why out, if that's okay for me to be honest. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, um, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've never been food insecure, really. Um, thank the Lord. Um, uh, because I grew up in a, even though I'm, I, we are not rich and have never, ever been that, but we are family oriented. Um, and, um, you know, my family is the type of family that it don't matter who's coming. They're going to ask you, are you hungry? Do you want some food? They could have, I could bring a new friend over to my house. They don't know this person. Um, and they're still going to ask, you know, there's food there. Do you want to eat? Um, because it, it is a culture of cooking, um, every meal and, uh, that's how we grew up. You know, no one was hungry. Anybody needed food. You can go to anybody's house and they have cooked enough for the whole family. Um, even now, my mother, it's just my mother and uh, my niece and my dad in the house. And she cooks as if it's still 10 of us in the house. Um, 
And uh, it's a blessing to have grown up with those values for me, particularly because when I saw that woman, um, when I was 19 years old, uh, I was able to something just like a like a light switch went off. Like, you know, I've always seen homelessness around because um, I'm born and raised in Newark uh, and I've seen a lot, but I've never really experienced that interaction that I had with that woman. And I've never actually seen her till this day. Like, I don't know if she's okay. I hope she is, but she has definitely uh, changed my my life. Um, and when I say that, I mean that I was able to, you know, I'm going to, I decided at 19 that day that I was going to do this religiously. And now we do it every other Sunday and it's bigger than I would have ever thought. And that comes from power of team, of working together, um, in telling my story because when uh before I was about like four years in of doing this consistently by myself uh maybe my family my mom will like make chicken or something to help me but it was really just me um because I wasn't sharing it I've always been a person that I don't like to take like I don't like to you know be in the credit of something like I just want to do the work um but one of my mentors Kalina Berryman um, who I work, I started to work under in college. I was a senior. She was like, no, you need to start posting this. Um, because, you know, it started to get expensive because it started to get grow and grow and grow. So I'm like, I need every time I would go it would be more people to feed. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, this food is expensive. And this is just coming from my, <laughs> from my, my little 21 year old dollars and 22 year old dollars. <laughs> and um, it would, it would become something that I would just do. So telling my story and posting more about what I was doing and letting uh, my peers see what I was doing, it, it sparked something in them like, hey, if Jen is doing this, and we are the same age. Uh, why why can I do this? So it, it began to spark interest in some of my peers and they started to join the team. Um, well, we created a team. They started to join the team. And now we have a team uh, where it's like clockwork. We know who bringing what. If not, we'll pick up the slack and somebody's out of town. You know, we are living our best lives. So if somebody's out of town or if someone's not here, we pick up the slack for one another. But it's really a, a beautiful team of young individuals. Um, if I can quickly say who they are, um, they are just amazing. Um, and each one of us contribute. Most of us are women, and each one of the and each one of the people on the co-founder side for Norcan are all women. All um, five of us total, and four of us went to University High School. We all graduated together. All went to college, and are still trying to um, build resources and power. So it was really important, particularly to us, to continue to tell our story and share with everyone what we're doing so that we are, um, especially on social media where most of our peers are, so that um, not only do they know what we're doing, but they can help and contribute and be inspired to do something um, similar or even better. Yeah, that's great. I love the camaraderie. Um, Rosie? Um, I'm going to claim my spot as a fellow Taurus. <laughs> I wow. am strong-willed. I have always been. And I, I share my story because I am I, not what I've been through. And I want other people, especially my young sisters and brothers, to know that they can come through the storm successfully. I've been through sexual abuse, physical abuse, 
racism, homelessness. Um, I didn't think myself poor growing up, but I remember not going on school trips because mom said she didn't have the money for it. Um, so I've come a long way since that, and it's because I had support. So I want to be able to pay it forward and be that support for people who are going through the same thing. And I came through it all quietly. So, mm -hmm. so in a sense, I had a life, I was fine. Um, I have friends on the line who would not have known it was happening at the time. Um, and I wanna encourage people, tell your stories. There's an African proverb that says, until the lioness tells the story, the hunter will always be the hero. Mm. So I encourage you, claim your place as the lion or the lioness and tell your story, share your stories. And, you know, having gone through that and seen the inequity that we now experience in our lives, um, the inequity has inspired me to keep going. I moved from an urban center to a suburban town and the difference in how I was greeted as a parent in the schools was just striking. I thought I was in a different world. Um, so I keep moving to help my brothers and sisters, young and not so young, <laughs> to get to this equity, to get to all the things, to get to dignity if they have been abused or stripped of their dignity um, so that we can all grow together. So I hope someone will be comforted or empowered or inspired when I tell my story. Thank you, Rosie. Real quickly, um, before we um, go, go on, I, I do wanna ask, what are some of the challenges that you all face um, on your journey? And how have you over, overcome those challenges? I, I can start, I can okay. start. Um, so I, I mentioned um, prior that we are a group of young, very intelligent women um, some of us went to have our master's PhD, um, working on PhD, and we are born, raised Brick City. So it's imperative for us to, you know, work with um, the city to keep the 18 through 33 population happy because we are the next working generation. So we need to, you know, stay here, especially if we are born and raised here, it is imperative for us to stay here. Um, and the way that the city is moving, it's not necessarily working towards us staying here. And I'm just being honest. Um, so what we have put together is a, um, we're working on putting together a survey, I mean, a report that tells um, through different lenses that tells the city what they need to do in certain aspects like nightlife, education, housing for our population in order for us to be happy and thriving here, not just surviving. Um, and one of the challenges that we face because we are all under 26 is that we're under 26 and they don't take us um, seriously when we are showing up wanting to collaborate or wanting, you know, having all these strategic planning and they're like, well, you're 26. How can you have all these strategic plannings instead of just thoroughly looking at what we have and it being actually good? Um, so it's been difficult to, you know, maneuver through these spaces because where the ageism is a thing. Um, and I know we talked about this prior, but it really is a thing and it's something that we're still fighting through. We're not discouraged or disappointed. We continue to pivot and move forward and do what we have to do to get this report done because it's important to us. And we want to stay here. We want to thrive here. We want to 
you know, live our best lives and not just live paycheck to paycheck. We don't want to be our parents. We don't want to continue to live in that struggle. We went to school. We were educated. We you know, were smart enough to be able to even want to do this amazing thing. Um, but to be honest, we're, we're, some of our struggles is being um, held back by ageism. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Yes, I can go next. I'm sorry. And we'll we'll have a conversation, a very lively conversation about addressing the gap between those that are in the work and those that are coming up mm -hmm. the work and how we can bridge that gap. But continue, Dr. Bambi. Yes, yeah, some of the challenges uh, that I see is unrestricted funding for this work um, because there are some that pretend to be allies, but they're not really allies. Uh, they're foes and they may disguise themselves as allies and they may take the work. Um, and from those of us who are doing the work on the ground from those grassroots residents. Um, and so we sometimes call it poverty pimping, uh, excuse my uh, bluntness, but it is what it is. Um, and we see that uh, that happens a lot. Um, and so if you're going to write us in the grant, then you need to write us in the budget, uh, in the words of Nathaniel Smith. And then oftentimes uh, I do see the ageism. I'm kind of that um, uh, that's kind of in between, even though I'm 47. Uh, I have the mind, uh, mindset of uh, Generation Z and the millennials uh, because I love young people. But um you know, oftentimes I see that people don't value my lived experience like they value a PhD, uh, like they value some professor. Um, so even though I do have a PhD and also have a doctor of theology, that can't beat my lived experience. You can look at stats and read studies and do uh, surveys all day long, but you don't know how it feels to not know where you're going to lay your head. Not only you, but with a newborn and two other children where you have to decide if you're going to be homeless or you're going to uh, leave your oldest son because the shelters say that he's too old to go with you. And you have to make that tough decision to say that we're going to be homeless and we're going to stay together. Um, and so that's some of the challenges that I see is the trust factor among the philanthropic community and people need to value the lived experiences of those who have faced these challenges head on as opposed to those quote unquote experts. Mm, thank you, Dr. Bambi. Munira? You're on mute. So, um, great. Dr. Bambi, we have a lot of things in common, <laughs> all of us. Um, so I would say, you know, um, the monopoly that's going on, you know, it's like, you know, it's like those who go along to get along, you know, and then also um, I would say, you know, um, being non-conforming, you know, um, I am an out, you know, they say lesbian, you know, so, you know, non-conforming and, and, and also, you know, um, I'm no holes bar, you know, I, I tell it like it is, you know, straightforward, straight with no chaser, you know, just real, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of the powers that be, you know, they don't like people that is, is straight shooters, you know, tell it like it is, you know, and um, that's where I see a lot of my stuff. Is and then the powers that be, you know, um, 
the forces of evil. <laughs> so we in, we living in a world where it's good versus evil right now, and um, you know, the good gonna prevail, you know, because we're gonna continue. So that's that's some of the challenges that I face, you know, um, and also um, being formerly incarcerated, you know, they look at that as being taboo for women, you know, uh, taboo and, and, and they don't think people can change. Uh, I am here as a witness that, you know, going on 26 years out of incarceration, uh, ain't no stopping me now, you know, and I'm doing everything I, in my powers. You know, I got pulling my family, my brother who was doing awesome work in Patterson, uh, all my brothers who, um, you know, uh, are, are successful. You know, I'm the only one who end up, you know, falling through the crack, but I came back to, you know, reach back and, and, and help my, my family and my community, you know, that, that, that's not a place for us, you know? So I came out of a, a, a voice of change and a force to be reckoned. So I never give up. I continue to work and I'm gonna keep on pushing no matter who cares and who, who got anything to say about it. Thank you, Manera. Rosie? Um, I remember a time when my voice wasn't being heard uh, when I was younger. So Jennifer, there's hope. Um, I was at a table just new to organizing parent and member of the community. And we would be brainstorming around an organizing strategy or issue and I would say something, I put it out there and no response. And then one of the elders, and there were two in particular, two gentlemen would say, why don't we do that? And say exactly what I just said and it would be received and welcomed. And then it was their idea, not mine. And I have to say that was frustrating. And eventually I had a blow up with one and we parted ways. <laughs> we, we just like agreed not to agree. But with the other, who was a, a strong African-American man, I, I asked him for a sit down and we talked. And I said, this is how I perceive what happens. And he was surprised and welcomed my input and said he didn't realize that was happening. Um, one, you know, so, you know, you could call it mansplaining or uh, ageism. I was in my 20s at the time, uh, but he accepted that. And he did, I can't say he immediately changed, but I did see a conscious effort to hear other voices. And it wasn't just mine, but it was the very few young black women that were in the group. Wow. So Rosie has transitioned us to, and you all saw the question about, you know, hidden voices. Um, there was an article um, that was shared internally about black and brown women being hidden, hidden forces um, in community development or in their communities. And so, you know, looking at the poll, I see that majority of the attendees here feel as though your voices are hidden in the work that you're doing in your community. And so I'd like to ask the panelists, and you already heard from Rosie, what have you done to overcome <laughs> being hidden? Um, and how do you, how do you push through that feeling of, wow, they want to kibosh me. They want to shut me down. You know, how do you push through that? So I want to add a little piece to that, Shlone. Sure. And I want to give props to my team of five women. I'm one of the five. 
who are some powerful women and we do our work quietly. And sometimes we're like leading from behind, but when it's time for us to step up, we step up because we're not stepping up for ourselves. We're stepping up for the kids that we serve. And that's, that's what uh, helps me when my voice is hidden is to remember that it's not about me or us. It's about the children who need our voices. Thank you. Dr. I Bain? can go next. Oh, oh, okay. I'm go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. No, it's all right. Dr. Bambi could go first. No, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm very shy. I really am. And I have imposter syndrome to the core. Um, and <laughs> I, I love the fact that I have, and, and it's just something that I grew up in because I've always been excellent. And sometimes when you're in spaces where People aren't excellent. Sometimes you're in the wrong spaces, I say. They try to knock you down. And luckily, I'm in great spaces now. But I do have, I do suffer from imposter syndrome very bad sometimes. But I have a beautiful team of women um, and two guys. But most of us are women where, you know, we're constantly reminding one another of how, you know, if it weren't for us, we would not be doing this amazing work. And we have inspired other groups to, you know, even want to do certain work. Um, particularly uh, my group of, of girls, like they're um, very well in partnerships and acquisitions. And when I mean, we have gotten Panera Bread, a partnership with Panera Bread, a partnership with Krispy Kreme throughout because of these amazing women um, and just other partnerships that we have created. Um, a in the past three years since they've joined the team. Um, literally, I, I truly believe that we could not be doing this amazing work had it not been at the front line of these women who are constantly, whether they get praise or not, they're constantly, you know, making sure that this team is working um, with, you know, with, with everything that goes on. Um, it's just amazing to for me, and I really had to say that it's, it's important for us to be surrounded by um, people who um, sometimes see us more than we see ourselves. And, and particularly, that's usually always women. Thank you. Dr. Bambi? Yes, and that is the precise reason why uh, I see one of my colleagues, Sherelle Bird, um, and uh, that consists of three dynamic women, uh, one dynamic gentleman uh, formed Alliance 85, was to create our seat at the table. And so what I have found was just showing up. I would show up at everything. Uh, if there was a hearing at the, at the Georgia State Capitol, I was there because guess what? You can't hide it from me because that's public information. And the Georgia uh, State Capitol is the people's house. Uh, the U.S. State Cap the U.S. Capitol is the people's house. So that's my house. So I'm going to go there when I get ready, and I'm going to talk to who I'm going who I want to talk to. Um, and even though when I first started, some people said, you know, hey, well you're you're not a lobbyist. Well, guess what? I went and paid my twenty dollars and became a lobbyist. So you're not going to shut me up. You're gonna you're gonna listen to me, and not only you're gonna listen to me, but I'm gonna bring my people in here with those lived experience because you're making these policies and not getting the input from those who have been through nothing, been through uh, uh, these challenges as relates to affordable housing and equitable community development and voting. And so showing up 
uh, over and over and over again and not being, and believe it or not, I am actually an introvert. <laughs> I know you probably can't tell, but I'm actually an introvert. Uh, but I really gained my strength uh, to speak up from my grandmother because she wasn't afraid of anything. Like I said, she was born in 1922 and she was a dynamic person. God bless her soul. Uh, so I really rely on her strength. Uh, and I also, you know, think about the things that my mother went through who is a Vietnam era veteran, uh, so a black woman uh, joining the army in the 1970s and the challenges that she went through to seek a better life uh, for her two girls that she had at the time. So I had to find that courage and that strength from my ancestors who were uh, stripped from their country in Nigeria um, and brought over here uh, to uh, uh, toil and and work in a country that didn't didn't give a flying flip about them. Um, and so, you know, one of the things and stuff that I said, my mother and I, we talk about this all the time, is that Black people are the most patriotic people in the world because we care more about a country that didn't care about us. Uh, and so that gives me the voice uh, to speak when I'm speaking to these elected officials, when I'm speaking to these people, and also challenging some of my quote-unquote allies um, on things that they that they say because they have not been there. They're, they're looking at it from a lens of privilege and not from a lens of experience. Experience. And someone has to speak out. And I know I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist. Uh, so instead of saying, why me? Why not me? Um, and so I feel that I was placed in this position um, for a purpose, uh, not only to um, elevate, it's not about me, but elevating my people. And when I say my people, women, Black women, women of color, uh, all of us who have had those lived experiences and who have been through a lot, I, like I said before, leaving that door open. Thank you, Dr. Bambi. Um, and Manir, I'm going to start with you, but I want to transition us on because I want to be mindful of time. Um, and so I want to have this conversation about women and how we create space for women like us in our work. I'd like to know how you're doing that. And then I want us to have a conversation and Jennifer brought it up earlier about ageism. How can we bridge the gap between those that are have been in this work for, for a good period of time and you have the younger generation coming up? How do we do better in bridging that gap? Jennifer, you want to start us off? No? <laughs> uh, Manira? So we on this topic. So how do we bridge the gap? First of all, it shouldn't be a gap. You know, because every man, woman, and child need to be on the ground, you know, um, taught survival to the fullest. So we shouldn't even have a gap. So why do we have a gap? So we have a gap because that's what, you know, society has placed for us, you know. Um, and and I always say to when I have the opportunity uh, to build with younger generations, young, younger um, individuals, you know, I, I tell them, you got to you got to take your power. Just like we we have to we have to take our power. You know, we have to come and bring our seat or bring our table, you know, um, and that's what the young young generation have to do. And then it's our duty as, you know, the elders, the you know, 
individuals who are of age, we are to prepare a place for our, our young generation. It is our duty and responsibility to pass it on, you know, um, create safe haven, create opportunities. That's why that, that's why we in it. Our future generation, for, our, for those who have children, nieces, nephews, you know, I don't have any children, but I'm, I'm, I want to leave a legacy for my, 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 my young nieces and nephews, you know, and, and the young generation. So I'm building a sisterhood. I'm a part of a sisterhood, you know, uh, advocacy by the sound of my voice. I want to lead by example. I want to um, help anyway, consult, you know, show you uh, uh, through my experience, you know, you know, in terms of building, at the end of the day, we shouldn't have this gap. You know, we shouldn't have this gap and we should, as adults, I mean, um, we should, children, no matter who they are, you know, we should be leading by example and then showing them and looking at individuals, not even, even if they're not our children, you know, it's our responsibility to, we, we, we are the mothers of all our children, period. Thank you, Thank you Manira. Oh. Um, Jennifer? Hey, I can go. It's, it's funny, Miss <laughs> um, uh, Bunami, right? Is your last name? Um, am I saying that yeah, correctly? Bumani. It's funny because last Bumani. week I had, I had um, you know, I had a lot to say. And then I, Thursday night, I did a panel with Larry Ham, and I learned that power, unfortunately, is never given. It's always taken. Um, so my response is going to be a little bit on the radical side. And, you know, you have to just take power these days. Um, what would be ideal is if older generation and younger generation gave each other grace um, had patience for one another. Um, what I mean by patience is us younger having patience with um, and and grace with knowing that the advice comes from love and not harm um, and also lived experience, but also the um, elders to know or the seasoned to know that um, uh, how we respond to it is based on the same way that um, most did is, you know, we have to also live our own experiences and having that grace so that we, you know, we'll, we'll listen and, and take what we need with a grain of salt, but also we have to live our own experiences. And I think a lot of time are seasoned because they are seasoned and they know what can come from left and right. Um, they forget that we also have to live our own, our own lives and, and, and we have different times and different resources. Um, and I think that there's lack of grace and understanding that. But I also, um, unfortunately, the the world we are living in is not that cut um, and clear. And what we have to do sometimes is, or most times, is take power. If you want power, learn, because um, they're not going to pass the baton. So learn from who you want to learn from. Observe people, view people, learn, and take power. Mm, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, Rosie? I think it's our responsibility to raise up the next generation of leaders. And we have to start in our homes. This, this thing in our history about children are to be seen or not heard or leave the room because we're having an adult conversation. We need to stop. We need to let our kids experience these conversations, this struggle, 
and raise them up as leaders. And then even beyond our homes, mentor somebody. We should be mentoring, and we're talking about women here, especially we should be mentoring our young girls. However, in mentoring them, make sure you're not just throwing knowledge at them. Have interactions, have dialogue, hear them and respect their opinion and give them some decision-making power as well. So I think those are the things that we have to do to make sure that we're making space for other women and the next generation as we move through this. Thank you, Rosie. So we have one question in the audience, so, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Dr. Bambi, um, because we are, we are cutting short on time. But the question is, um, how do you continue to build your network platform in your chosen arena and establish yourself within your community? Uh, Dr. Bambi, you want to take that one? Yes, I'll be glad to take that one. Uh, networking and collaboration is so important. Um, and I think it is important to not just, as I do at Georgia Act, not just collaborate with those who are in the housing arena or community development, uh, but also networking and collaborating with the school systems, uh, with young people, uh, with those entities that may not be traditionally um, related to housing, uh, but uh, also doing voter engagement work. Um, so it's important to network and collaborate together because as someone said in the chat, you know, we're, we're not competition. Uh, we're here to complement each other. So we can build off each other's strengths uh, and I think it's important as you go into the communities, as I have into Georgia, uh, don't just come and get information, do listening sessions, and then leave. Uh, it's important that you go, as you go into these communities or in your, your neighborhoods, uh, that you give something back to the community, that you give something back to the people, and you keep coming back, and you uh, build that trust uh, with people to show that uh, you're, you're really uh, not just using them uh, for your own purpose, but to help build that power, um, especially with young people. Uh, because as I say with a lot of older people, look, you're, you're not you're going to die and try to take this knowledge with you. What sense does that make? Uh, you know, even with my youngest son, I take him with me everywhere. He went, I mean, to the U.S. Capitol last week. Uh, he was waving signs um, for uh, Black Voters Matter when he was six and seven years old. Uh, so it's so important that you continue to go in those communities, but don't just take, but also give back. Mm, thank you, Dr. Bambi. Does anyone have anything left to add? 30 seconds. Just thank you. You have the power. The people closest to the problem have to be a part of the solution. And that's us. Mm. Thank you all. Um, I hope that today that you all had an opportunity to vibe with one another, to be encouraged, to be inspired, um, and to also know that your story deserves to be told. Um, and you can start in your home, in your neighborhood um, and in your and in your workplace. It doesn't matter, just start somewhere because that is the very thing that will provide social change um, for us. And so thank you. Know that your story is your power. Thank you, thank you all for attending today. Thank you, Dr. Bambi. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Manira. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you all. Thank you all. If you all have an opportunity. Thank you. Please, please check out our series, Women of Color on the Front Lines. 
Um, and thank you. Until next time, enjoy. Thank, thank you, you as well. Thank you for sharing the spaces with you all. Have a blessed day. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you.